This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hi, friends. Hello. <laughs> we'll we'll get it. I promise. We'll get we'll we'll uh, find our niche. It's fine, or whatever we do. I don't know. I don't know. The hump day treat's gonna help. Hump day. Thank God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's episode 37. 37. Bar crimes. Yeah. Because this episode is coming to you the Wednesday before St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, so tomorrow, wear your green, bitches. Yes. And most people spend St. Patrick's Day in the bar. Mm-hmm. Drinking green stuff. Yeah. So this, this hump day, we'll be drinking green stuff. so i tried my hand at bartending today (laughs) and i found this uh saint patrick's day drink i don't even know what it's called does it have a name you know what hold on let me look at this little picture and i'll tell you if it has a name it's really good it don't have a name it doesn't have a name we should name it I don't have uh, the brain capacity for naming something right now, but maybe it'll come to me later. Okay, if we can't think of anything, when I post it, we need your ideas. What should we call this? Yes, because I don't see a name. Okay. But it's like a punch type drink. Yeah. You know, like that. Um, we spiked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Sprite, Sherbert, whipped cream, sprinkles, and a little airhead candy to make our rainbow. Hell yeah. And then, of course, we added my favorite, Grey Goose Vodka. You're welcome. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. You should all do it. Well, we're also <laughs> wearing our bestie socks that you bought me for my surgery tonight, so. That's true. No, no, my surgery wasn't tonight. That came, that came out. <laughs> we are wearing the socks tonight, tonight that, that I bought. bought me for my surgery like a month ago. <laughs> Y'all... Fuck. Everything is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so it's just been like a crazy day. A little bit. We did um, our gym thing today. Oh my God. And almost died. <laughs> but here we are. But we killed it. And we did a little merch research today. Yeah, we did. So um, we'll be asking y'all some questions oh, we about found that some good soon. Stuff. Yeah. And then. We both ran various errands today. Both ended up at Target. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then on our way homes, we both ended up sleeted on. What the? Yeah. It was 80 degrees two days ago. And now. Yesterday. We're being sleeted on. So that's a thing. Yeah. Welcome I to Louisiana. Her, and I was like, Brittany. Actually, I think I called you first because yeah, I, didn't <laughs> I realized how bad it was. <laughs> and I was like, it is freaking sleeting. Yeah. What is going on? So it's been a weird day. Yeah. Weird Friday. Yeah. But it's okay. It's fine because now we have. Now we have alcohol. Vodka. And I love it. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Vodka and candy. We don't know. how. Oh, you did put what? One shot? 
I just put one shot, but because of the size of the cups and the way we proportioned it out. Bro, he's doing his job. <laughs> you taste vodka with a hint of sherbet. Yeah, it's really good. I, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Go to Facebook and Instagram so you can see the photos for our cases this week. Yeah, do that. I cannot think of any other housekeeping at the nah. moment. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's we'll just good. throw it in later. Just go to the social media things. Housekeeping. Yeah. Housekeeping. Come back later, please. All right. So. Okay. In my quest for bar crimes. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. So, first, my idea was I wanted, like, a bar fight gone wrong. I wanted there to be, like, this huge bar fight and someone died. And we're sure those exist. But alas. I could not. But alas, Amanda came at Brittany. I could not find any more. (laughs) Well, like, I couldn't find any that was other than, like, one small news report. Mm -hmm. So, it was like, I can't, I can't build a case on that. So then Amanda was like, hey, this is hard. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so we changed it to bar crimes. Yeah. Am I still a bar crime gone wrong? Yeah. Just broaden our horizons a bit. Mm-hmm. And mine is sort of a bar crime, but it's sort of not. But you'll see. You know what? It's okay because we're the owners of this business and we can do that. You're right. We have creative freedom. Yes, we do. <laughs> but this one's pretty cool because... It's super close to home. Super, super close. So close that I have been to this place before. A few times. Yeah. Both. So my case is on Brandy Wells. Yes, 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 yes. It's kind of a popular case, so some of y'all may have heard it, but I'm going to put my extra flair and pizzazz on it. She's going to Britney-fy it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Brandy Wells, 23, was looking forward to a night out before she had to start classes for the fall semester. So let's go ahead and go to the notes real quick so we can see what Brandy Wells looks like. It says Brandy Wells. Yeah. There she is. She's so cute. I know. Look at her little freckles. Ugh. I love freckles. I know. I do too. Graham Central Station, a nightclub in Longview, Texas, offered ladies' night specials on Wednesday nights. Yeah. She decided to go there on the evening of August 2nd, 2006. She left her Brownsboro, Texas apartment and made the 30-minute drive to her mother's house in Tyler, Texas. She was hoping that her younger sister would go to the club with her, but she wasn't feeling well and was already in bed when Brandy arrived. I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Not wanting to miss out on her final chance to have some fun before she returned to school, Brandy made the decision to go to the club alone. She never returned home. That That is never a good idea. Yes. People listening, don't do that. Buddy system. Buddy system. Dude, I rescued a girl one night from three guys. She was drunk as hell. Her boyfriend left her at the bar and these three guys were dancing all around her. She could barely see straight. She couldn't stand up without slurring her words and swaying back and forth. And I was like, Mm-mm, no, ma'am. Fuck <laughs> that guy. I, y'all why go would away. It, I got why would you, he girl. leave his girlfriend at the he, bar? They got into a fight, and he was an asshole, apparently. Oh, my God. She was really pretty. I saw a Criminal Minds episode one time mm-hmm. about a guy trying to leave his girlfriend at the bar. Y'all, mm-mm. Like, those three guys would have taken her home and got, done God knows what with her. Yeah. No. That's so sad. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I took her home. So, okay. anyways. Sorry. Yeah. No, good story. 
Brandy Wells was born on November 28, 1982. Growing up in Tyler, Texas, she was known for her love of music with a dream of becoming a country singer. Yeah, girl. As most girls in Texas do. (laughs) Sure. So I have a picture of a young Brandy Wells from like middle school, high school times. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Look at them over tweezed eyebrows that we all did in the 2000s. Which is why I have to color mine in every day. Luckily, I've been given the gift. Yes, you have. (laughs) I have super bushy eyebrows. Uh, You're so lucky now. (laughs) I used to hate them. They were awful. (laughs) But now they're a thing. So So I can't tell if she has her hair colored in this picture or the previous picture. Um, But isn't that the same? I think the blonde is... Like the previous picture, I bet that's colored because in a lot of the pictures, her hair is that auburn color. That's really pretty. But everybody wants to be blonde. I know. I don't want to be blonde. I did it too. Twice. Killed my hair. Brandy was a graduate of Chapel Hill High School where she had been a member of the band and the Flag Corps. She was talented enough that she received a college scholarship to the University of Texas at Tyler. Okay. I know. Get it, girl. Yeah. Although she had done well in her freshman year, she fell in love and decided to get married at the age of 19. 19? I have thoughts, but I'm going to continue to read. (laughs) It's just young. Yeah. Okay. If you can't buy beer, don't get married. That should be be the rule. At least do that. (laughs) (laughs) She continued going to college, but soon found that she couldn't balance her school and her home life, so she dropped out after completing her sophomore year. Mm. She promised herself that she would go back to school one day to realize her dream of becoming a teacher, but after her marriage ended in divorce, she moved to San Antonio. Brandy had recently returned to East Texas and decided to enroll at Trinity Valley Community College. She was going to be participating in band again, and she was looking forward to the start of band camp the following week. Band camp! This one time at at band band camp. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't go any further. There's Mm -mm. no need. I'm finishing that one. Y'all know. Brandy's mother. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh God. Just say it. (laughs) Well, okay. Her mother's last name, the very first time I saw it, (laughs) I thought it was a phallic word. Uh It's not. Yeah. And as soon as I read it, you'll be like, oh. Oh, I get it. Brandy's mother, Ellen Tant, was pleasantly surprised when Brandy showed up at her house Wednesday night. I swear I'm an adult. (laughs) No, we're not. Okay. (laughs) She hoped her daughter would stay and visit for a while, but Brandy was determined to go out that night. Before she left, Brandy asked her mother if she could borrow her car for the night as her car was low on gas. Ellen didn't have much gas in her car either, so she told her no. Brandy left the house in her own black four-door 2000 Pontiac Grand Prix. I have a picture of what that car looks like. It's not her car, but... Okay. Here is a black four-door Pontiac Grand Prix. Oh, I remember when those came out. My mom had one. I thought they were awesome. Yep. Okay. But that, that's what the car looked like. I mean, she couldn't give her like $5 for gas. That would have gone a long way back then. Maybe she didn't have cash. I mean, I get it, but oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she wishes she did a lot of things differently. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay. 
Her mother assumed that she was going to one of the local nightclubs in Tyler. Yeah. I've heard it's called the Electric Cowboy. <laughs> yeah. <They're>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, true story. I'm doing the research on this, and the Tyler bar that she, you know, people thought she was going to was mm-hmm. called the Electric Cowboy. Yeah. Well. It was. Later on, Graham Central Station changed their name to Electric Cowboy. They are oh. Electric Cowboy right now. Oh. So I just thought that was kind of um interesting. Yeah, because every time I've heard it, they say Electric Cowboy, but back then it was not. Well, no, that's not... Is that what you... No. The bar in Tyler that her mom thought she was going to was the Electric Cowboy. Right. That, that's true. Right. Okay. The bar that's, that she okay. actually went to is Graham's Central Station. Yes. But it's not Graham Central Station anymore. Right. It's the okay. Electric Cowboy. Okay. 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 So it's just kind of funny that it has the same name as the bar that her okay, mom thought she was confused. going to. Okay. You're so pretty. It's okay. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't know that fact. So yeah. I just cool. Thought, thought that was weird. Okay. Before heading to the club, Brandy stopped at a nearby bowling alley where a family friend, Jeanette Green, worked as a bartender. Hey. Right. That's the kind of friend you need. Yeah. Brandy told Jeanette that her mother said she could order a drink and charge it to Ellen's tab, and Jeanette made her a cherry <laughs> vodka sour. <laughs> I know somebody else that likes Y'all those. can hate on those drinks all you want to, but that's my favorite. I it's my like favorite it drink. when you drink those. <laughs> I'm funny when I drink those. She's funny, and she'll get out on the dance floor and not care. Like, she'll get out there, but when she's drinking those, she doesn't care. It's the vodka. It's just vodka in general. Well, I'm glad we're drinking vodka. That's what does that. For future reference, if you want me to be fun, <laughs> give just me vodka. Give her vodka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, as Brandy sat at the bar with her drink, she told Jeanette about her plans for the night. She was heading to Graham Central Station, located about 45 minutes away. Uh-huh. She had never been there before, but wanted to check it out because it sounded like a fun place. You go into a brand new place by yourself. That's why I went, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Jeanette warned Brandy to be careful, especially as she wasn't familiar with the Longview area and didn't seem to know where she was going. Brandy shrugged her off with a smile and told her she would be fine. She only finished about half her drink before she told Jeanette she was leaving and would see her later. Why did you let her go? It'll never happen to me. Yeah. Hmm. Like, no, I'm taking your keys. No. Yeah, like, You're not going. You're not going you anywhere. You can sit here and drink sit with me. Sit here and I'll, I'll go make you, you some more cherry vodka yes. sours. I'll go with you on another night. Yeah. Sit your ass down. Calm down. Yeah. So despite Brandy saying that she would be fine, she didn't really know where she was going and made several phone calls to Graham Central Station during her drive. So she made phone calls to the bar? Yeah, because she had no idea where she was going. And oh, they yeah. didn't have They didn't have all that it stuff. It was 2006. So, yeah. But if you want to go to the notes, I have a picture of the side of the building of the bar that has their logo painted on it. Yeah. So there it is. With stars and the A's, Super Texan. Love it. Oh, you know what it was? Hmm. She didn't want to waste a good outfit. You can save She was already... No, she had already put in the time and the effort to doll herself up. She did her makeup perfectly. She picked the right outfit... After about 25 tries. Yeah, but then you have the outfit in mind. You can save that. She must have had 
a super duper phenomenal hair day. Maybe she had fresh hair. Maybe she had just gotten her hair done. Maybe she just got know. a blowout. I don't know. Yeah. They're, I don't know. I mean, I understand. I don't, but I don't, I would not go by myself. <laughs> just I because, don't. like, my anxiety, like, I could not, I could not go by myself. I struggle sometimes walking into a grocery store by myself. So there's no way I would <laughs> I walk into a bar by myself like that. Okay. I don't get it. But mm. that people are different. There's people a lot different than me that can that. do that. I can't do that. How do y'all do that? I'm afraid of all the things. All the things. Do you know how much stuff could happen? How much bad stuff could happen? Me walking from your door to my car? Girl, when you told me you were on your way at 7-Eleven and by 7-47 you weren't here and it only takes you 15 minutes to get here, I was like, where the, where's she at? Yeah. Where's life. she at? I was laughing. I need, fine. I need you <laughs> to share your location with me. <laughs> so I don't have to jump to that. <laughs> I was just laughing. I know, and it's fine. That's what I figured. But I did have a moment. I was like, okay, it is sleeting outside. People are stupid because we live in the South and people can't drive. If it rains too hard, it's chaos. (laughs) Okay. All right. So. (laughs) She apparently made at least one wrong turn and needed to confirm directions to the nightclub. She eventually found her way there and entered the club around 10.30 p.m. Although Brandy had told her mother that she was going to be meeting some friends, this does not appear to be true. Hmm. Brandy did ask a couple of people, her sister and her godmother, if they wanted to go with her, but most of her friends had no idea about her plans. Brandy was recorded on surveillance video entering Graham Central Station alone and was seen leaving alone around 12.30. So, I have a picture, if you go to the notes, of the surveillance video of her entering. Okay. So, she's the one in the tube top with her hands, like, on top of the paper right there. Oh, okay. Okay. At the front with the bangs. See? She didn't want to waste a good outfit. She got Mm -hmm. some sparkly going. Yeah. She spoke with several people inside the club, but she didn't run into anyone she knew that they could tell from the videos. Okay. It's unclear if she had anything to drink while she was there, but those who spoke to her recalled that she seemed sober. And then I did see one article that said the bartenders reported not remembering serving her anything. Okay. But, you know, they see a lot of people in a night, so. That's true. But I guess it was a Wednesday night ladies night, so they probably would have remembered because it's not going to be too busy on a Wednesday night compared to like a Friday or Saturday. I mean, unless she just got one when she first got there and yeah. babysat it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did seem to be extremely concerned about the fact that she was almost out of gas. And while she didn't directly ask anyone for money, one man said that she hinted that she could use some gas money. Can I buy you a drink? No, give me some money instead. <laughs> Can I just have the cash, though? <laughs> that would be way better. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> When Ellen woke up on Thursday morning, Brandy wasn't at the house. Ellen wasn't particularly concerned and assumed that Brandy had too much to drink the night before and stayed with a friend. Brandy lived with a roommate in Brownsboro, and her roommate grew concerned when she hadn't returned by Thursday evening and called Ellen to see if she was still there. It was at this point that Ellen started to worry, and she began calling her daughter's cell phone. She left several frantic voicemail messages without getting a reply. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, Mm -hmm. I have some thoughts. Okay, yep, me too. 
Okay, so Thursday morning you wake up, your grown daughter mm-hmm. is not there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I probably would have assumed the same thing. Yeah, give her give her a little bit. She had, you know. Maybe she, till that night. She spent the night with her girlfriends because her mom thought she was going out with her friends. Mm-hmm. So I would have thought the same thing. But if it's noon mm-hmm. and she hasn't called mm-hmm. and she hasn't shown back up, mm-hmm. I'd have been calling her. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, are you coming back by here before you head home? Or, you know, even at, like I wouldn't have necessarily been worried at that point. No, I've just been like, you good? I probably would have been, you know, a little aggravated. Like, okay, like, what are your plans? I need to know what your plans are. Are yeah. you coming back here? Like, so I would have started checking up. By noon, I would have been like, all right, where are you at? I would have started calling her then. I wouldn't have waited till that night when the no, roommate called. No, not at all. But... Things were different. I know that wasn't that long ago, but people weren't buried in their phones then. My kids know. You check in. I don't give a shit. You check in. Yeah, I agree. I'm just saying, like, if you think about phone culture from now compared to 2006, it's a big difference. It is. But But I still would have been calling my kid. Oh, yeah. Way sooner. Yeah. A lot sooner. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. Now, like, with the fact that we have that technology, right. if you don't hear from somebody in an hour, you're freaking out. Kind of. Why yeah, are you not answering so your accessible. phone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of crazy. Plus, my kids have, uh, they share their locations with me, so. <laughs> you bet your ass I'm going to know where Ashton's at. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> we gonna. There was still no word from Brandy by Friday morning, and Ellen started to panic. Although Brandy was an adult, it was unlike her to be out of contact for so long. She was normally very responsive to voicemail and text messages. Ellen continued trying to call her, but by that afternoon, Brandy's voicemail was full and she could no longer leave messages. She decided to call the police and report her missing. Yeah. Ellen called the Tyler Police Department and they sent an officer to the house to take a missing person report. Ellen was still under the impression that Brandy had gone to the Electric Cowboy, a nightclub located just blocks from their home. And that was what she told police. Brandy's sister corrected her, telling her mother that Brandy had planned to drive to Longview and go to Graham Central Station. Well, at least she told somebody where she was actually going. Yeah. But little sister, why wouldn't you tell your mom that sooner? Oh, like before that actual day? Yeah. Well, like, I'm not saying to, like, tattle on her or anything, but when... No, but when you Your mom's frantically calling, why not tell her then... Hey, Mom, like, she did go to Longview. You know, maybe that would have opened a new friend group to check with. Yeah. I just don't understand why she waited until, like, her mom called the police to be like, Oh, yeah, by the way. Uh, Oh, yeah, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's not where she actually went. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you should have said something. Like you said, like, I don't know, it was in a different time and... Yeah. She, I mean, she was probably thinking the same thing at first, that her sister was just at a friend's house, or yeah, maybe her phone was not working properly, or I don't know. Yeah. It's just all a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. Ellen and Brandy's godmother, Michelle Cole, worried that Brandy might have run into car trouble on her drive to or from Longview, especially as she had mentioned she was low on gas. Yeah. Once Tyler police learned that Brandy had likely gone missing from Longview, they told Ellen that she needed to call the police there. 
Ellen did so, but the Longview Police Department didn't seem at all concerned and told Ellen that her daughter was an adult who could come and go as she pleased. They weren't going to search for someone who had most likely taken off voluntarily. I hate when that happens. Oh, my God. All the time. Brandy's family and friends were convinced that she hadn't run away, and they launched their own search for her. While Ellen stayed at the house and started calling all of Brandy's friends, Michelle decided to make the 45-minute drive to Graham Central Station. She searched the parking lot and surrounding area for any sign of Brandy or her car, but found nothing. Sadly, when Michelle went to Longview to look for Brandy's car, it had already been located, but hadn't been connected to the missing person case. A trooper from the Texas Department of Public Safety spotted the car on the side of the interstate just outside of Longview on, on that Thursday morning. Lovely I-20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Its driver's side door was partially open. He pulled in behind the car around 9 a.m. and ran the license plate number. Once he determined it hadn't been stolen and wasn't wanted in connection with any crime, he assumed it had simply broken down on the highway. He tagged it as abandoned. If the owner didn't return, it would eventually be towed. Brandy hadn't been reported missing yet when the car was found. Once the missing person report was filed, it would still take days before law enforcement realized the connection between Brandy and the abandoned car. By this point, the car had been sitting on the side of the road for five days. Okay. Time out. Yes, it was an abandoned car, but the driver's side door was open. Like, you didn't think that that was weird? I, sorry, my radar would have gone off. Like, okay, somebody abandoned this car real fast. I don't know. Yeah, when you break down on the side of the road, you don't normally you just don't leave, leave your the door car open, open because it's going to unless ding you're and run standing down the outside of it, right? So if if somebody was standing outside of it and then something suddenly happened, like I don't know, yeah. Investigators searched the car and the surrounding area on August 8th. CSI and cadaver dogs were called to the scene, but the dogs were unable to pick up on the missing woman's scent. They found nothing inside the car or in the immediate area that indicated a struggle had taken place. Brandy's purse and wallet were found in the back seat, along with a cell phone and a napkin with a man's name and phone number on it. The driver's seat had been pushed all the way back as if to accommodate a very tall driver. Hmm. Brandy herself was only 4'11 and would have been unable to drive the car with the seat in that position. In the trunk of the car, detectives discovered a gas can that Ellen didn't believe belonged to her daughter. This seemed to suggest that Brandy did indeed run out of gas and might have asked for help from someone she thought was a good Samaritan. But why would the gas can still be there? Because they weren't really going to help her. They just... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all of her stuff was still there. Uh Uh-huh. Red flags. Yeah. Okay. Since they now believed that Brandy might have been a victim of foul play, detectives finally launched an investigation into her disappearance. They called the man whose phone number Brandy had written down on a napkin, and he confirmed that he had seen her at Graham Central Station on Wednesday night and talked to her for a while. He had offered to buy her a drink, but she declined. She mentioned that she was concerned about running out of gas and left the club shortly after that. He had not spoken to her again. In need of extra help, the Longview Police Department called in the FBI to help aid in the search. So at least they asked for help. Yeah. That's something. Detectives were sent to Graham Central Station, and they learned that the club would swipe the identification card of every patron as they entered, and they were able to determine the exact time that Brandy's license had been swiped. The club was equipped with several surveillance cameras, and they provided police with the footage from the night that Brandy disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Disappeared. (laughs) 
Detectives viewed the footage from around the time Brandy's license had been swiped and saw a woman who appeared to be Brandy talking with two men who arrived with her. Unsure if the woman on the video was her, they asked for a family member to come down to the police station to view the surveillance footage. Ellen was too upset to go, but sent several other family members instead. They agreed with the police that the woman was indeed Brandy. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Don't give a shit how upset I am. I want to see with my own eyeballs if that's my kid. But I don't trust anybody else. I'm going. Yeah. Why would you, why would you ask not be at the police station all the time? Leave a family member at home in case she shows up. I'm not going to pass judgment. (laughs) But what I want to say about this mom, I don't know her. I, I don't know her situation. I don't know her life. I question decisions. Yes. Police released the relevant surveillance footage to the news, hoping to learn the identity of the two men seen with Brandy. They received numerous tips, but none of them led to Brandy or either of the men. When Ellen saw the video, she wasn't convinced that the woman in question was actually her daughter. Although the woman looked similar to her daughter and had the same build, the clothing the woman was wearing was not what Brandy had left the house wearing that night. Yeah. A few weeks later, Ellen's sister and brother-in-law went to the Longview Police Station to watch the video, and within minutes, they spotted Brandy, but it wasn't the woman previously identified as their niece. That's why the mom should go. Yes. Okay. And I just want to um, shed a little light on this. I did say a few weeks later. So yeah. weeks have gone by. Yeah. And they were looking for the whole wrong person. Yep. It turned out that the timestamp on the surveillance video was nine minutes off from the ID swiping machine. Mm-hmm. When Ellen saw the new footage, she was certain that it showed Brandy. She was wearing the clothing that she remembered Brandy changing into, and she arrived and left Graham Central Station alone. As she exited the club, an unidentified man wearing a white cowboy hat could be seen leaving right behind her. He appeared to head off in a different direction than Brandy did as he entered the parking lot. But he did glance towards her. Immediately Mm. after Brandy moved out of the view of the surveillance camera, a shadow can be seen that seems to indicate that she changed direction and headed towards this unknown male. Attempts at identifying this man were unsuccessful, and it is unknown if he was at all connected with Brandy's disappearance. Because there were no cameras in the parking lot. Of course not. Never trust the Stetson. Um, just <laughs> don't, don't, don't go to the boy in the cowboy hat. It makes him look all sweet and. Amanda Hagens, we live in Louisiana. What? This was in Texas. About seventy percent of the population wears cowboy hats. I don't. So care. just don't he talk was to anyone. A white one. <laughs> it was white. That is the summer hat. That's like wearing white blue jeans. You. Don't go to that boy. No, you are so wrong. The white is the summer hat. Black and brown is the winter hat because it's different material. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Who hurt you in a white cowboy hat is what I want to know. I am not a cowboy hat kind of gal, but I have many men in my life that wear white cowboy hats. <laughs> oh, let me go back. I was about to rant for a second. Ooh, rant. Business owners, especially, let's say, clubs and bars and restaurants. Any environment that involves alcohol. Have at least one camera pointed at your parking lot. What are you doing? Are you stupid or something? 
What at are we least doing? one. Maybe two. Two would be cool. Yeah. If you have them at your front door going this way, two different directions, you know? Yeah. Show your parking lot. Yeah. If you look at that camera footage and you say, you realize, oh, we can only see the door. No, that's not. No. Point one the other way so you can see the parking lot. Because <sighs> you know there's going to be some bar fights out there at least. Something is going to happen in that parking lot. That's where all the shit happens is in the parking lot. Because they're not going to do it in front of your security people. No. Come on. Get it together. Maybe they do now. One can only hope. Detectives called all the contacts listed in the cell phone they found in the back of Brandy's car, which they assumed belonged to her. Some of the people they called knew who Brandy was, but others didn't. And they were confused by this, of course. <laughs> it wasn't until they finally showed Ellen the cell phone that she was able to clear up the mystery for them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Brandy's phone. Mm-hmm. Why did the mom not see that phone earlier? Oh, it irritates me so much. Communicate, people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It had belonged to her ex-boyfriend who was now in the military. Detectives had spent more than a week trying to track down leads from the wrong cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking up, Longview. They couldn't look and see, like, check the number, what bill it goes to. They, they just they started scrolling that? through the contacts. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't call mom. I mean, come on. Right? Brandy's cell phone was not found in the car, leading mm-hmm. them to wonder if she might have taken off voluntarily after all. Without her car and her purse, Mm-mm. a girl's not going to leave her purse. Mm-mm. I'm sorry. There's, there's too much stuff in there. Yep. Once they obtained cell phone records for Brandy's phone, they discovered something disturbing. There was no activity on the phone at all for more than a week following her disappearance. Mm-hmm. But then a number of calls were made to and from that phone. Hundreds of calls, one right after the other, one to two minutes in length, suggesting the phone might have been used by someone dealing drugs. Authorities traced the phone to a man and his niece who said they had been given the phone by a third man. This man claimed that he had found the phone on the ground on August 11th and simply decided to start using it, as one does. I mean, no. (laughs) No. 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 This man, whose name has never been released, had a criminal record and police were already familiar with him. The location where he claimed he found the phone was a very high crime area about four blocks away from the highway where Brandy's car was found. It is unlikely the phone would have gone unnoticed on the ground there for nine days before being found. Nine days. Yeah. And this is the only random person that picked it up. Yeah. That's what they're saying. There's too many hooligans well, running around. he claims he found it that in that location. There's yeah. no way to know where mm-hmm. he actually found it. No. Ugh. The man and his niece agreed to submit to polygraph examinations regarding Brandy's disappearance, and they passed. Big whoop. Yeah, those mean nothing anymore. The man who claimed he found the phone initially refused to be polygraphed. Later reports indicate that he finally agreed to take one, but he failed. Hmm. He is a person of interest in the case, but police do not have any evidence directly linking him to Brandy's disappearance. So... On September 19th, 2006, Brandy's family contacted the Laura Recovery Center, a group dedicated to helping find missing people. The group set up a search of the area around Graham Central Station on September 26th with the use of volunteers on horseback and four-wheelers. Cadaver dogs were also brought in, but nothing was found. 
On December 23, 2006, a second search for Brandy was conducted by the Laura Recovery Center. A bag of bones was found, but it was later determined they belonged to an animal. <laughs> Why we got animal bones in a bag, I, I, I don't know. It would be more helpful if I knew what type of animal that was, and then I could How? go from there. How would that be helpful? Because... I know that some hunters and stuff like that, after they take all the meat and they skin it and all that, they just toss the bones. See, that's why I don't hunt for things. <laughs> that's just gross. No, just go to Target. <laughs> yeah, I just go to Target. A third search was done in early 2007, but nothing was found. On October 29th, 2006, the burning body of a woman was found in the oil fields of Gregg County. The area is approximately seven miles from where Brandy's car had been found. While the body was unrecognizable, police were able to note the unidentified woman was wearing a purple sweater and blue jeans. An autopsy was performed, which confirmed the body belonged to a white female. A forensic artist was brought in to do a rendering in the hopes that someone would recognize the woman. While first believed to be Brandy, dental records later disproved this. The woman who had been dubbed Lavender Doe was publicly identified as Dana Dodd in February 2019. What? Just when they go to do a search for someone and they end up finding other bodies in the process. I know. It's insane, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. There's a problem. <laughs> Okay. Why is there an overabundance <laughs> of oh, bags look, of bones there's around a body. here? There's a body. Look, there's a body. Yeah. Or what? Ooh, there's a body. Ooh, there's a body. <laughs> I have nowhere to put this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In May of 2001, a tree clearing crew found what was believed to be human remains behind the Sunset Inn on West Marshall Avenue in Longview. People have not relate people. <laughs> Police have not released details about the remains, but Ellen said it was not her daughter. Hey, I'm just impressed that you made it through tree clearing crew. I know, I was feeling proud That's- of myself. <laughs> I totally would have slipped up on that one. Over the years, there have been a number of searches conducted for Brandy, but there have never been any clues found that point to what may have happened to her. There are several theories, but no evidence to support or disprove any of them. Some believe Brandy could have been the victim of a carjacking gone wrong. This theory is supported by the position of the driver's seat and the location where the car was found. Given Brandy was short on gas and had been asking those at Graham Central Station for gas money, some believe she could have met foul play after running out of gas on the highway. This is further supported by the fact that Brandy's car was facing the direction of Tyler where she was planning on staying that night. Those in Brandy's family and online sleuths believe Brandy could have been kidnapped and forced into prostitution. The area where she disappeared is known for both drug and sex trafficking mm-hmm. and is the area where herself, as is, what are words today? I don't, I never know. So don't ask me. <laughs> as is the area where her cell phone was found. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I'm starting to care less. The vodka's kicking in. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Now that I'm almost done. (laughs) Ellen refuses to stop searching for her daughter and will not give up until she knows what happened to her. Police say the case is still open. While they haven't received any new leads as of late, they continue to investigate each one that's called in. 
Brandy's mother is determined to keep the search for her daughter alive, driving around with missing persons flyers in her car. She has been critical of the police investigation, yeah, mm-hmm. saying police have failed to keep in contact with her. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's bad, bad, bad police. So, if you want to know more about this case, mm-hmm. the ID channel learned of the case and made Brandy Wells the subject of its pilot episode of Disappeared. Yes! And that's on my case. Oh my goodness. I love that case. I know. Like, it's I so crazy. It. And every time I hear Ugh. it, I like grab onto a little detail that I didn't remember yes. from the first time. Yes. So. You did really, really good. Thank you. Yeah. I had if, a time. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish that one could be solved. I, I wish all the unsolved could be solved. If I'm going to be realistic, because the unsolved ones drive me insane. Yep. I just want to know, what happened to you? Who did it? Where did you go? At least what happened. You're right. At least what happened. What happened? I need it. Mm -hmm. The world needs it. Yep. Her mama needs it. All that's true. They all need it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. It's been a really long time since I've heard this story, so I'm super, super excited. I got, I got all of it. All of it? All of it. Okay. Uh, bar crime's gone bad. (laughs) I kind of stuck to the original title. (laughs) Michael Malloy was like a lot of down on their luck unemployed men in New York City during the Great Depression. Apart from doing the occasional odd job, they drowned their sorrows at local speakeasies with the occasional unsavory characters. Malloy had been unremarkable in life. God. <laughs> like, I kept that? Because, damn! That is so <laughs> cold. I know. But that would change in death when he became the world's most stubborn murder victim. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> he would survive five murder attempts, which retrospectively earned him the various nicknames. Iron Mike, Mike the Durable Malloy, and Rasputin of the Bronx. <laughs> Michael Malloy was a regular at Tony Marino's bar, where he'd drink until he passed out. Okay, get Mar- it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do what you do. Times were hard. Marino, 27, would be lucky to get money from customers for his bootlegged whiskey. Tabs were open, but few were paid. On top of the economy being shit, it was also during the most ridiculous ban ever in history, in my opinion. The mother effing prohibition. Yep. Stupid. Every morning, the old man showed up at Marino's place in the Bronx and requested another morning's morning, if you don't mind. I don't know how he talked. (laughs) In his muddled brogue. But hours later, he would pass out on the floor. Okay. For a while, Marino had let Malloy drink on credit, but he no longer paid his tabs. I have a picture of Marino's place. Okay. Well, that's a very unremarkable place. It very much so is. <laughs> but it was also hidden, so... True. Know. True sees. Okay. So, one afternoon in July 1932... Molloy was drinking as usual, and Marino and his two friends, Francis Pasqua, 24, an undertaker by trade. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you have to have a cool job if your name is Francis Pasqua. Pasqua. Yeah, you gotta I have mean, a cool job. I mean, you have job. to do something great with that. Yeah. 
and Daniel Kreisberg, a 29-year-old grocer and father of three. So they got an idea to make some real quick cash, take out a life insurance policy on Malloy, and help him drink himself to death. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. You can just take out life insurance policies on just two Fs. Well, it was, in fact, a pretty common thing at the time. <laughs> Although most people's claims were fraudulent ones and didn't involve actual murder. But not for this group. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pasqua eyed Malloy's sloping figure, the glass of whiskey hoisted to slack his mouth. No one knew much about him. Not even, it seemed, Malloy himself, other than that he had come from Ireland. Hey! Hey! <laughs> he had no friends or family, no definitive date of birth. Most guessed him to be about 60. No apparent trade or vocation beyond his occasional odd job sweeping alleys or collecting garbage. Yuck. Happy to be paid in alcohol instead of money. Okay. <laughs> he was, wrote the Daily Mirror, just part of the flotsam and jetsam in the swift current of underworld speakeasy life. Those no longer responsible derelicts who stumble through the last days of their lives in a continual haze of Bowery smoke. Well said, Daily Mirror. Yeah. Marino had already pulled a similar con a year earlier when he killed a homeless woman and collected on her $2,000 life insurance policy. Oh, good grief. One frigid night, he force-fed her alcohol, stripped her all of her clothing, doused the sheets and mattress with ice water, and pushed the bed beneath an open window. That's messed up. That's that's so messed up. The medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia, and Marino collected the money without incident. Mm-mm-mm. The ever-drunk Malloy seemed like an even easier target, and soon a murder trust as the newspapers would later call them, was formed between Marino, Kreisberg, Pesqua, bartender Red Murphy, and petty criminals John McNally, Edward Tin Ear Smith, Tough Tony Bastoni, and Joseph Maglione. I need to know where the nickname Tin Ear came yeah. from. Because yeah. Tough Tony is That's, pretty self-explanatory. right? But Tin Ear... I need, I need to, to know. Well, I need to know. Also, that is entirely too many people to split your money with. Because we got Marino, Kreisberg, Pasqua, mm -hmm. Murphy, mm -hmm. McNally, mm -hmm. Smith, mm -hmm. Bastoni, and Maglione. Mm -hmm. That's eight people. Mm -hmm. Y'all stupid. I know. Y'all stupid. That's too much people. It was 1932. <sighs> And I, I, that's way more people to tattle on you. Yeah, don't involve... I mean, I guess they trusted who they wanted to trust, uh, but uh, that's, that's too many hands in the pot for me. Yeah, y'all too extra. So, as one does, the plot was conceived over a round of drinks. Yeah. One afternoon in July 1932, Du Bois said mm -hmm. in Marino's... <laughs> I mean, that's just... Why would you not call them that? The boys. The boys. <laughs> <laughs> Set in Marino's speakeasy and raised their glasses, stealing their complicity, figuring the job was already half finished. Yeah, he was already drinking himself to death. Right? Well, just help him along a little. Mm-hmm. Pasqua offered to do the, la the legwork. Lab work. Legwork. <laughs> <laughs> 
paying an unnamed acquaintance to accompany him to meetings with insurance agents. This acquaintance called himself Nicholas Melroy. Why are you involving one more person? That's nine people. It's not one more person. Hold on. Okay. And gave his occupation as a florist a detail that one of Pasqua's colleagues in the funeral business was willing to verify. It took Pasqua five months and a connection with, you know, like a little crooked agent to secure three policies, all offering double indemnity on Nicholas Melroy's life. Okay, double indemnity, indemnity, that word. Me, <laughs> I've had too much <laughs> indemnity. Okay. There he goes. <laughs> okay, this means that the insurance policy benefic- beneficiary is to be paid twice the face value of the policy in case of the policyholder's accidental death. Okay. All right. So, they took out two insurance policies with Prudential Life Insurance Company and one with Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. Pasqua recruited Joseph Murphy, Red Murphy, the bartender at Marino's, to identify the deceased as Michael Malloy and claim to be his next of kin and beneficiary. So he is Nicholas Mellory. Okay. Mellory. Whatever you want to say. Gotcha. (laughs) Okay. If the plan was successful, each member of the trust would receive a share of $3,576. Which is about $65,000 today. Okay. So, you know, that's $65,000. Yeah. Mean. But you cut the number of people in half mm-hmm. and you double your money. Mm-hmm. I don't think they needed that many people to just no. make a guy drink. Yeah. He does it on his own. Like, I mean, I, I can I, I can see where later on they needed some extra help. Yeah. But not right off the bat. Yeah. No. Mm. All right, I got a picture of Du Bois. Okay. All right, from left to right, Pasqua. Okay. Joseph Murphy. Okay. Tony Marino. Okay. And Daniel Kreisberg. Gotcha. It says fruit dealer. (laughs) (laughs) It does indeed say fruit dealer. (laughs) I love it. That's great. Not a grocer. Not a a grocer. A fruit dealer. (laughs) Yeah. So conning Malloy into signing three insurance policies was easy enough. All Marino had to do was offer a delighted Malloy a free limitless bar tab, and he did what he was asked. With the with the signed insurance policies, killing Malloy now seemed nothing more than a formality. Okay. Yeah. Malloy was in a pretty bad state to begin with, so Marino hoped that by repeatedly filling his glass, Malloy would drink himself to death. But after three days of drinking, Malloy was still breathing. Oh, my goodness. So, Marino spiked his drinks. Some sources say he used antifreeze, then turpentine, and finally, horse liniment with rat poison. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Tough Tony grew impatient, suggesting someone simply shoot Malloy in the head. But Murphy recommended a more subtle solution. Exchanging Malloy's whiskey and gin with shots of wood alcohol, which is methanol crudely distilled from wood. Wood alcohol is so strong that even just a small amount could cause blindness. Why, people? I mean, the, <laughs> I guess prohibition times you do what you guys do. Oh, my gosh. I want to know who figured that out. 
That frightens me. <laughs> frightens <laughs> that, me. That's what's even scarier. Somebody was like, wood alcohol. Oh, it's alcohol. Let me try this. Let me see what happens. What? Because somebody knew that it caused blindness. I don't Nobody know. did it. I can't. That's what kills me about warning labels on stuff. Like, how many people do this? <laughs> do not ingest. To? They put that on there because somebody did it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Tide pods. <laughs> Come on, people. Tide pods. That's all I'm going to say about that. There is, there's so many other substances. Why do we have to sniff glue and eat Tide pods? <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So. Marino waited until Malloy was drunk from shots of whiskey before making the switch to shots of pure 100% wood alcohol. It can't taste very good. If you've had hours of shots of whiskey, you're not going to know. That's, that's okay. <laughs> you're not going to know. Uh, He'd been drinking for three days and still breathing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll attest to like even one night of drinking whiskey. I'm like, what's the shot? Okay. I'll that. Never again. <laughs> Ever, ever, ever. So, yeah, he didn't notice it, and he happily swallowed it night after night. One night, Malloy fell to the floor unconscious. The gang fell silent, staring at the jumbled heap by their feet. Mm -hmm. Pasqua knelt to Malloy's body, feeling for a neck pulse, lowering his ear to his mouth. The man's breath was slow and labored. They decided to wait, watching the, the sluggish man, um, you know, his chest rise and fall. Any minute now. Finally, there was a long, jagged breath. A death rattle? No, he was snoring. <laughs> <laughs> when he awoke hours later, he asked for more alcohol. <laughs> this this bar tab is still, like, it's open, still going. Right? Like, we're still good? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to rally. You <laughs> <laughs> <Puke> can <and> rally. I'm <laughs> <Come> back. He <laughs> was varsity blues. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> back on track. The murder trust decided to poison his food as well, since that didn't work. Malloy had a well-known taste for seafood, so they gave him oysters that had been marinating in denatured alcohol for a couple of days. Okay. When alcohol and seafood sit, it becomes poisonous. Oh, good. Yeah. One by one, he scarfed them down between shots of wood alcohol. Okay. The murder trust waited patiently for Malloy to keel over, but he didn't. He just belched and carried on drinking. Wow. So then Marino up the ante. He let an open tin, ugh, an open tin of sardines rot for a few days, then prepared a sandwich for Malloy seasoned with broken glass, carpet tacks, and finally ground shavings from the sardine can. Oh my gosh. Malloy ate the sandwich none the wiser and asked for another. This dude. I cannot. How do you not know? Oh, it's crunchy. Tax. Did you put Doritos in the sandwich? I mean, <laughs> oh my God. would you not be? No. no. Okay. No. But no. he was that, he was that drunk. Wow. I mean, he was drinking wood alcohol. Maybe he was blind. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> don't know. 
The gang was getting desperate with the insurance premiums, the cost of whiskey, and various industrial alcohols. <laughs> Killing Malloy was becoming an expensive enterprise. They were spending all their earnings. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they didn't anticipate this being such an ordeal. <laughs> Marino recalled his success with Maybell Carlson and suggested that they ice Malloy down and leave him outside overnight. That was a homeless woman that he... Yeah. Okay, just in case. Y'all aren't keeping up. <laughs> there you go. That evening, Marino and Pesqua tossed Malloy into the backseat of Pesqua's Roadster, drove in silence to Cretona Park, about a half mile from Marino's speakeasy, and lugged the unconscious man in through the heaps of snow. They dumped him on a park bench, ripped open his clothes, and drenched him with bottles of water. But to Marino's surprise, he found Malloy in the basement of his speakeasy the next day, complaining of a chill. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> there had now been four attempts, four, on Michael Malloy's life, and none of them had brought him even close to the brink of death. He, it was decided more brutal measures were required. One of the gang, John McNally, wanted to run Malloy over with a car. Ten Ear Smith was skeptical. <laughs> but Marino, Pasquale, Murphy, and Kreisberg were intrigued. <laughs> John Maglione offered the services of a cab driver friend named Harry Green, whose cut from the insurance money would be a total of $150. He was going to run somebody over for $150. <laughs> for $150. Dude. They all piled into Green's cab, a drunken Malloy strewn across their feet. Green drove a few blocks and stopped. Bastoni and Murphy dragged Malloy to, down the road, holding him up crucifixion style oh by gosh. his outstretched arms. Green gunned the engine. Everyone braced, but as the car barreled towards him, he managed to come to his senses, even in his inebriated state, and jump out of the way. After two dodges, the taxi struck him and then backed over him. On the third attempt, Green raced towards Malloy at 50 miles per hour. They left Malloy for dead after a passerby startled them. Oh, my gosh. It fell to Joseph Murphy who had been cast as Nicholas Mallory's brother, to call morgues and hospitals in an attempt to locate his missing sibling. Yeah. No one had any information, nor were there any reports of a fatal accident in the newspapers. Like, they called the hospitals, they called, they they checked the papers. This dude wasn't dead. Like, yeah. there was no reports. So, five days later, as Pasquale plotted to kill another anonymous drunk, any anonymous drunk oh, and pass him off as Nicholas Mallory. The door of Marino's speakeasy swung open and in limped a battered, bandaged Michael Malloy, <laughs> looking only slightly worse than usual. Oh my gosh. Apart from a fractured skull and broken shoulder, he was in good spirits and happy to see his bros. His <laughs> greeting, I sure am dying for a drink. But I'm bumped. Jesus, dude. <laughs> On February 21st, 1933. Okay. <laughs> the boys finally did it. They finally killed Michael Malloy. Poor guy. <laughs> In a tenement room that was um, above the speakeasy, they put one end of a rubber tube from a gas light into his mouth, wrapped a tile towel tightly around his face, and then poisoned him with carbon monoxide. 
Aww. Yeah. I don't like it. But I have a picture of Michael Malloy, deceased. There's there's a cloth over him. Don't worry, guys. Okay. But that's him on a stretcher. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah. Just because I know there's a dead body under there. Yep. And then there's the room where it happened. Well, that's a lovely dresser. Yeah. Such a nice room. The floor's trashed. I don't know what that is all over the floor. I've, I, I don't know if somebody got there with like, they must it up. They killed somebody in there. They must it up. It's just weird. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Okay. So a crooked doctor friend of Pasquale's. Of course, Pasquale's got connection with all the crooked people. I was going to say, like, how does he know? Oh, he's the undertaker. He's guy, the undertaker. So he knows all these people. Yeah. So, a crooked doctor forged a death certificate in the name of Nicholas Melroy. Um, They only received an $800 payout from the Metropolitan Life Insurance. And then everything began to fall apart for the murder trust. Fucking karma bitches. Mm -hmm. When they tried to collect the insurance money from the Prudential Life Insurance Company. To legitimize the claim, Prudential's insurance agents asked to see the body. But when Pasquale said the body was already buried, the insurance company was like, Mm-mm, okay, we call in the authorities. May 1933, Malloy's body was exhumed. The phony death certificate said he had died from lobular pneumonia, but the subsequent autopsy proved otherwise. Green, who was not happy with this cut, started talking. Uh-huh. I mean, he only got 150 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So police discovered that a homeless woman had died in Marino's speakeasy under suspicious circumstances and that Marino was the sole beneficiary of her life insurance. Mm-hmm. 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 I have a photo of when he was exhumed. Okay. I do know if I should post it. Ew, that's gross. But it says exclamation. Um, he's a little battered and bruised. Yeah. He's a little dead. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know how I feel about it. Mm-mm. But I do have a photo. Yeah. And it's, it's e- easily Googleable. Googleable. I don't know. <laughs> Googleable. <laughs> okay. Then on a separate matter, Tough Tony Bastoni was shot dead. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-hmm. And Joseph Maglione was charged with his murder. Oh no! <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> they started turning on each other. I knew that was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Too many hands in the pipe. Yep. Before long, there was enough evidence to arrest the remaining murder trust: Frank Pasqua, Tony Marino, Daniel Kreisberg, and Joseph Murphy appeared at the Bronx County Courthouse. First, they tried to plead insanity, but when that didn't work, they tried to implicate each other in the murder. Of course, Naturally. point your fingers at the guy next mm-hmm. to you. Sure. Finally, they accused Bastoni of Malloy's murder. Yeah, you know, the dead guy did it. That's what happened. That's who I'd blame it on. Sure, why not? Yeah. But it didn't work. In June and July of 1934, Pasqua, Marino, Kreisberg, and Murphy were tried and convicted of first-degree murder and were executed in Old Sparky. Didn't, didn't you have one of those? Yeah, like every prison, it seems, I has know. an Old Sparky. The electric carriage. <laughs> But the electric chair. The electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. I want to know where that came from. Why they call it Sing Sing? Yes. Do you know? No. We need to find that out. I know lots of random shit, but that's not one of them. I just, 
like, why would you call it that? Let's Google it. Okay, Google it real quick. I'll Google it. You keep reading. Okay, at Sing Sing Prison, which killed them all on the very first try. How convenient. Yeah. I would have made it last five times. I'm just saying. I'm I'm that kind of bitch. You're a little extra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Scorpio. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Harry Green was the only member of the murder trust to escape execution and was instead sent to prison. Michael Malloy was not only known for being the most stubborn murder victim, his murder case was also one of the first to be investigated by the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. Well, all right. Yeah. He made headlines. You know I have a headline. Of course you do. Yeah. It's a really good one. Okay, ready? Yeah. New York's most fantastic murder. Five times the ghoulish plotters tried to kill the homeless bum, Michael Malloy, whose life they had insured, but he survived every deadly scheme until they put a gas tube in his mouth and held him until he died. Well, all right. Nice headline. Yeah. Okay. And then it's got some nice little illustrations. Which is <laughs> fantastic. Oh, my God. They've got a fo- like a picture of him sitting at the bar, and then I don't even know. I want to point out, oh, him getting hit by a car. I want to point out the <laughs> font that they used for their headline. That is that like is not so a professional not font. Yeah, yeah, that's I'll, great. I yeah. love it. So there you go. I'm done. That was fantastic. Poor guy. And I've googled it. Okay, what you got? The name Sing Sing was derived from the. Sint-Sink Indian tribe from whom the land was purchased in 1685 and was formerly the name of the village. In, in okay. 1970, the prison's name was changed to the uh, Osingning Correctional Facility, but then reverted back to its original name in 1985. Okay, Sing-Sing is way easier to say. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Let's do... Who framed Roger Rabbit? (laughs) I'm having troubles. (laughs) All right. So, March 16th. (laughs) Our story (laughs) is about somebody that I've never heard of, Mm -mm. but his name is Colin Ireland. And I found that very funny and appropriate. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, Colin Ireland was born on March 16th, 1954. And died February 21st, 2012. Oh. He was a British serial killer known as the Gay Slayer. Okay, now I don't care that he died. Because his victims were homosexual men. Ireland suffered a severely dysfunctional upbringing. He committed various crimes from the age of 16 and had served time in borstals and prisons. So I guess that's like jails. Yeah. Sure, we'll go with that. Criminologist David Wilson believed that Ireland was a psychopath. While living in South End, he started frequenting the Colhern yeah, okay. pub, which is a gay pub in West London. It was known as a place where men cruised for sexual partners and wore color-coded handkerchiefs that indicated their preferred role. Okay. All right, then. There we go. Ireland sought men who liked the passive role and sadomasochism so he could readily restrain them as they initially believed it was a sexual game. 
Ireland said he was heterosexual, he had been married twice, and that he had pretended to be gay only to befriend potential victims. Mm. Nah, buddy, you ain't playing. Mm -mm. (laughs) Ireland claimed that his motives were not sexually motivated. Again. Mm. Yet he was. He was highly organized and carried a full murder kit of rope and handcuffs and a full change of clothes to each murder. After killing his victim... He cleaned the flat of any forensic, the apartment, of any forensic evidence (laughs) linking him to the scene and stayed in the flat, apartment, until morning in order to avoid arousing suspicion from leaving in the middle of the night. So, yeah. Hmm. In uh, Europe, they call them flats. Here we call them apartments, for those of you that didn't know that. I mean... I watch House Hunters International. Right. So, so I know exactly what a flat is. I know what a flat is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have no idea how many times I thought that I was just going to leave and buy a flat in Paris. I know. I was like, oh, I want a flat. And then I figured out, Poland. oh, they're just, they're, that's what they call apartments. But I still want to live in a flat. Yeah. I want to live in a flat in Paris or Poland or, um, I don't know. Can I call my place a flat? Ireland. It ain't flat. It's two stories. Mm-hmm. I'm more flat than you. <laughs> no bitch you not <laughs> we wouldn't talk about the chest boo boo <laughs> okay let's finish this one up oh <laughs> he was jailed for life for the murders in December 1993 and remained imprisoned until his death in February 2012 at the age of 57 Ooh. so I think we can all say a great big fuck you to call in Ireland he's in the douche box douche box Bye bye. Bye. Not to y'all. To no, to no, Colin. To him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was one point in that story where we were like, Ireland was da 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 and I was like Ireland. I, I forgot that his last name was Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a split second. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Hmm. I know I have ancestry in Ireland. Yeah. That's pretty much all I know, though. Ireland and Scotland. Okay. I want to do one of those 23andMe things. <gasps> or the little ancestry things where, you know, you spit in the little tube. <laughs> you don't spit in the tube. <laughs> you swab your cheek and you put it in the tube. I thought you spitted. <laughs> swab your cheek. I'm like 90% sure. I mean, I guess you could do either one, but they need cheeks. The ancestry one you spit in. We're going to have to verify this. We do. I don't know. I thought it was the cheek swab. I don't know, but I want to do it. I'll spit. I'll swab. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I just want to spit her, Brittany. (laughs) All I really know is that I'm Lithuanian. That's about it. Like, I know, I know there's some Indian somewhere. So you need to spit in a tube, too. Next episode, spitting in tubes. Hey, but um, on the real though, huh? If any of you people have ever done either one of those, oh yeah, and it worked out well for you, let me know so I know which one to get. Yeah, yeah. Tell me which company should we go with? Yeah, shoot us a message or email or something, and tell me which one to get. Either one, because it's going to happen. I need to know. Inquiring minds need to know. All right. We're going to be posting something on Facebook soon asking you guys what kind of merch y'all might be interested in. 
Yeah. So tell we, us. We Respond. really need y'all to tell us. Or you can tell us from listening to the podcast. You know, it doesn't have to be on that post. But, yeah. If if you would, like, go hop over to that post, that, that would be cool. Yeah. That way we can keep track of everything. We got a bunch of ideas today. So much We need stuff. help deciding. Y'all know yes. we can't decide shit. It's it's bad. It's a problem. <laughs> but we want to we want to have a little bit of variety, but we want to start, you know, we're starting kind of small. We don't want to do anything too extra to right. begin with. Right. But we would love love suggestions mm-hmm. of what kind of stuff you guys would be looking for. Yeah, cuz we already know what we're going to put on it. But, you know, and trust the me, items you'll, you'll like it. It'll all be good shit. I'm telling you. I mean, it's us. Yeah. What else would you expect? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. What else? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Rate and review us and shit. Oh, yeah. Do that. Yeah. We have some uh, stuff behind the scenes going. So all the rating and reviews that y'all could do right now would be really, really crazy helpful. Crazy helpful. Yeah. And what else? That's all I know. Uh, oh, that's all I know. My brain is... Yeah. Okay. And drink green drinks. And happy humping. Happy humping. Um, it's almost St. Patrick's Day. Top of the morning to you. Or whatever they say. <laughs> Catch a leprechaun. Find your pot of gold. Chase the rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> all that. Taste the rainbow. Eat some Skittles. Ooh, taste the rainbow. Um, And drink green beer. Skittles and beer. There you go. Or... You know, green sherbet and Sprite and vodka. vodka and whipped cream and sprinkles. And- oh, or put some Bailey's in your coffee. Oh, oh, Bailey's Irish cream. There Ooh. you go. See, the possibilities we have all are the endless. Solutions. Maybe we'll dress festively to work on Thursday and take a picture and send it to you. Why would you not dress festively on Thursday? Is, is my bigger to. my bigger question because I'm like, going to. I ordered a shirt. I just didn't know if you was going to, so I said maybe. I'm going to wear my green one with the big shamrock on it. Okay. Yeah. Then we'll dress festive and we'll take a picture. Yes. There might be stickers involved. But it really irritates me when it's like a holiday, a themed holiday that you're supposed to dress up for and people don't do it. And then when I pinch them, they're like, you're stupid. Because they're lame. Just pinch them on the booty. Maybe they'll like it. Hey. Wait, I'm not promoting sexual assault. No. I'm just being silly. No. <laughs> Only do that to your um, people that are dear and close. Yes. And that would be okay with that. Yes. Ask consent first. <laughs> Have written consent before you go around pinching Can people Can I on pinch the booty. your booty? Yeah. Okay. Smack it. I mean, that would be even better. Well, you're not supposed to smack. I know, but a smack on the booty is even better. True. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we've rambled enough for you guys, um, (laughs) there were hand motions. Yep. All right. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And all that. And yeah. Deuces. We done. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Craig Weaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.